Michigan criminal defense attorney Bill Amadeo is standing by in cell block S. The jail visit starts now on Shiawassee Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. I'm Bill Amadeo from the Commandus Amadeo and Gravel Associates and six. Shiawassee 6, do you know, live audience is here, and that is so impressive right now. I mean, I've been working at the dinner tonight, but I mean, you, you are a go-getter. I will say this about the live audience. We had a very large bottle of Grey Goose in the office. I don't drink, and there's a lot less Grey Goose in the office. So, oh, man, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about 109 North Willow Avenue. And I'm going to tell you the motivation behind this one. I don't know how long I'm going to go. It's been a long day. <sighs> Man. I've been talking to some friends. I don't know. Are we friends? People from back home. People you grew up with. And guys, I guess I have to ask the question tonight. Are we truly products of learned behavior? And if we are, what does it take to break that chain, to break that cycle? Because I'm told that I broke that cycle. I'm told I'm the one that made it out. I gotta tell you, I don't feel I did break the cycle. I just feel like I masked things better. And that's, to me, a question I have for the audience. Number one, are we always products of our environment? And two, do we ever truly break that cycle? <sighs> you know, generational cycle, yeah, Emily might be onto something. You know, and where I come from, the concept of being vulnerable it's just not something we're capable of doing. And I was talking to a friend tonight, and I said to him, where we're from, and I'm talking about 109 North Willow Avenue, I'm talking about Ducktown, I'm talking about Atlantic City in the 90s, and I'm talking about the Chelsea part, I'm talking about, as we're going to the bus station, we're going towards back Maryland, and we're going to Virginia Avenue Court, and we're going through the horror that was Atlantic City back then, we don't really pretend to be somebody we're not because we never really knew who we were. Think about that. We don't pretend to be somebody we're not. We have no idea who we are. We literally have these tough exteriors and these masks and I think the concept of vulnerability is a comical one. Somebody recently asked me if I was scared about this case I'm involved in. And you know, and this all coming back to 109 North Willow Avenue. There's some cases I have right now. There have been threats. There have been things that we put out in the world for people to know about. There's been basic bullying tactics. And I always believed this with a bully. The only thing you can do with a bully, in my mind, is punch him in the face. If somebody is bigger, stronger, and faster than you, you charge their ass. That's what Mary Lee Neary taught me on 109 North Willow Avenue. Hey Nancy, you're up late. And the concept of being scared in court, I think in court, if you are, if you care, there is a level of anxiety for the client that you mask it. But the concept of fear, fear is Pitney Village in the 90s. And the people that have talked shit, the people that have lied, the people that have brought bad prosecutions, 
elected officials who don't know what they're doing. I wonder how many of them have had a gun to their head. Have you ever felt the cold barrel of a gun put right to your ear? Because let me tell you what it feels like. It's freezing, right? And you get it up to the ear. And you kind of see your life in front of you. That's fear. Not a bullshit prosecutor who's trying to disregard the truth. And I'm not trying to trash prosecutors because there's so many I respect, but there's some I don't right now. Fear is being shot at. Fear is being stabbed. Fear is being beaten within your life. Fear is where your family is going to get hurt. You protect them by any means necessary. And that was what one thing 109 North Willow Avenue taught to me. 109 North Willow Avenue in the 90s taught me when your loved one is in danger, you must defend them by any means necessary. I'll leave it at that for now. And next to 109 North Willow Avenue was Pitney Village. <clears throat> Today something happened that kind of made me reflect on things and do this vlog after a long day. You see guys, here was Pitney, right? And there's this brown fence. This little tiny fence. And then here's our house. We were the last Italian family left there. And um, it was urban blight, no question about that. And I think about Pitney Village a lot. It doesn't really escape you. And this is when I talk about that learned behavior thing. The anger side of me. The shit that comes out. That is from your youth. That's not from Laura Road in Ann Arbor. Let's be clear about that. And I feel like... That period got me to Laura Road in Ann Arbor. But let's hold that thought. There was a group on Facebook... Pitney Village group and it came up under a suggestion and I clicked on it and I got denied in this group and I emailed somebody who was an administrator of the group who I knew growing up and I said to her let me back up she's somebody I was cool with in my youth at least I thought so And I asked them, you know, why to get turned down for this group? I don't understand. It's a public group. And she said to me, you didn't really live in Pitney. You didn't really live in Ducktown. And maybe she's right. You know, I don't know. And I'm in this DM with her. And we're going back and forth for a minute. And she's sharing her life. And then she's telling me about my life. But here's the thing about that, guys. The life that she's telling me about, the life I'm living through her lens, is what she's picked up on through Google. Or what she's picked up on through Facebook Lives. Or a podcast, or something like that, right? I mean... You don't fucking know what I've dealt with. And I'm pissed off. Here I am. I'm Bill fucking Amadeo. And I'm pissed off that I'm not getting into this Facebook group. Right? And it brought me back. And I'm thinking about shit. And I'm overworked. And I'm in on these cases. And here I am. This guy who... Perception, I got all my shit together. 
and I'm not allowed into this Facebook group and I'm pissed the hell off about. And my haters will tell you that I forgot where I came from, but now I'm saying to you, when I tried to connect to where I came from, I wasn't allowed in. What's your reaction to that? So I want you to think about this. You're this somebody in life. Your perception is you're this badass, or you're this force to be reckless, whatever the hell people that care about me want to say, and then the people that hate me will tell you I'm dog shit, and it's all facade. And here you are in this moment of exhaustion, scanning Facebook, and you want to be part of a group to connect to where you grew up with, and they tell you you were never really one of them. How do you feel about that? Are you pissed? Are you honored? And I don't know. So what I've decided to do to deal with this issue at 12.13 a.m. on Friday night, Saturday morning is reflect back on Pitney for a minute. Reflect back on Ducktown. Reflect back that when I didn't have $200 to my name and I'm trying to sell baseball cards against the fuck out of Ducktown, you know, is that kid still alive? And I guess my whole life, anger and frustration and disappointment, or whatever you want to phrase it, has been, my coping mechanism for that has been to outwork everybody. I will outwork everyone. And then I'll win a big case. And I'll make a lot of money, and I'll do this, and I'll do that. And that's my way of saying everything's okay. But really, it's not, right? I mean, let's be real. In 1992, who were we? What were we? And can you go back? So here's what I remember about Pitney. I remember the fear. I remember the gunshots that were like cannons. I remember watching people drop dead in front of you. And, you know, somebody once said to me, and it was somebody from the suburbs, right? They were talking about how they would sneak out to go hook up in high school and this and that, and I thought to myself, boy, if you snuck out of my friggin' house, you'd get shot and killed. And it's somebody who doesn't really know me and I decided I'll just talk about them. Because one conclusion I've come to is most people don't know me, and that's by choice. What I show to the world is what I choose for people to see. And in that moment, I want to join this stupid little Facebook group I was vulnerable. I let the guard down. I clicked. And then there's this lack of acceptance. And it's kind of funny. Because if you Google me and the person who didn't accept me, from the eyes of the world, they're a nobody and I'm important. But in that moment, I felt like the nobody and they were important. And you kind of want to discuss this issue, then you realize you got a client paying you big money who's facing 25 to life, and the hell with this shit. Why the hell am I going to worry about getting into this stupid Facebook group when I'm going to go save somebody's life? And I'm going to prove to you that I'm a better lawyer. Ha ha. And then you realize that work is a goddamn coping mechanism. Shit. But I know I can do this. 
So, when I think back to Pitney, and we'll get into Donald Trump a little bit. I know Nancy, I'll piss you off, but, you know, in our house, I thought about who was there and the gratitude I have for those people. There's my grandfather, Matt Neary, an absolute badass. Professional boxer. I was never the boxer he was. Master chef. Genius mind. But we were poor. And that's a story from our time. There was mom. Mom had me real young. Um, mom was like my big sister in a way. She got pregnant very young. And mom led a really sad life and died at 50. But in this house, we're there. There's a lot of sadness and fear in this little house on 109 North Willow Avenue. Then there's Aunt Mare. God damn. Mary Lee Neary was the most brilliant person I've ever met in my life. And she never graduated from high school. That woman had a PhD and a master's in fucking common sense. And she was the leader of that house. And you know, when people were going out and smoking weed and getting laid and doing this and doing that, I was ordered by Aunt Mare to be in the house and study my ass off. I didn't have the high school experience, guys. And nobody in this will light a candle for me at church. You don't really give a shit. I get that. But let me just tell you. Aunt Mare taught me to fight back in a couple ways. Even if you lose the fight, fight your ass off and be a man. Have the balls to stand up for yourself and your loved ones. Number one. Number two. Outwork everybody. Just outwork them. She used to tell me that at the end of the day, your work ethic is going to mean so much. And it's the one thing that we can take away from you. She told me that it was on me to get us out of the ghetto. She explained to me, you can't fall in love. You can't go to these parties. You have to study and save and get us out. It's on you, Billy. Okay. At 16, that's confusing. At 45, you realize that's love and there's the utmost appreciation. But the journey to understand that process is brutal. There was Odie. My rescue dog. Complete badass. Born a couple times, put his life on the line for the family. Scruffy, his little brother. Tough little guy. And all our animals were rescues. You know, and I had this love of animals from day one, because let's face it, guys, animals are better than people. I understand why a guy get his ass kicked. I don't understand why we would hurt an animal. But Odie and Scruffy and Fluffy and Pumpkin and Kitten Little and Lightning... They're, they're all worthy of their own lives, of their own stories, because they all played such a role in my survival. I'm sure at 16 years old and being depressed as shit and being poor and living in fear and not knowing which way to turn... And the fear of the jitney rides and the bus rides and knowing how to have escape routes to hide behind convention hall. And I'll tell you, John Newsom, Omar Martin, Jose Rivera, guys, if you're watching or you watch this, I have your back for life because you had my back at the age of 15. And I was the white kid with two black kids and one Spanish kid walking back to goddamn Ducktown and... You guys embraced me. I will always love you for that. Because those scary days when you thought your life was on the line and we would walk home together, there was a sense of security 
There was a sense of belonging. And it's sad that we didn't stay in touch the way we should have. But life makes us twist and turn. But I will always be grateful for those moments. And I think back to Trump Plaza. And you know, I know Donald Trump's going through some shit right now. I gotta tell you, I really don't give a shit where you stand if you're a left-winger or a right-winger. But let me tell you about Donald Trump. Because that Trump Plaza sign, the red blaring Trump Plaza sign from 109 North Willow Avenue, that was your sign of hope. Amidst this poverty is there's this multi-million dollar gambling cathedral, and Donald Trump did tell me I was going to go to law school. Donald Trump told me I was going to be somebody important. Donald Trump sold this poor white kid in the goddamn ghetto and said, you're going to be something important. You're going to be the guy in the room everybody's going to want to be. You're going to be the guy all the women are want to be with. That's going to be you, kid. If you survive this bullshit, you're going to be that person. That's what Donald Trump told me when I was a child. So when people talk shit about Donald Trump, let me tell you personally, you kissed my ass on that one. Because he was there. He had nothing to gain, no incentive to tell me I was going to make it. And when you are poor and you are scared and you are desperate, one of the most powerful men in the world tells you you're going to make it, that goes a long way. So you don't have to like Donald Trump. You could hate him with a passion. But I'm going to tell you, if it wasn't for him, I don't know where I'd be. He gave me encouragement. He owned four casinos. And when I think of Donald Trump, when I think of Trump Plaza and those red blaring lights, and here's this powerful man who would see me ride my bike through his casino on the side, and he'd be there gawking in his limo, and we start chatting up a few minutes, that made a difference. That was helpful. And I try to go back to this time period for a minute. And I'm listening to the Gaslight Anthem. And they're a New Jersey band. And if you haven't heard the Gaslight Anthem, and many of you probably haven't, unfortunately, they are so goddamn powerful. There is so much magical pain in Brian Fallon's voice. There's a new song out called Positive Charge, and it hit me in the night. And here's Positive Charge, this new song, and I'll post it later. But if you haven't listened to Gaslight Anthem, listen to Here's Looking At You Kid. Listen to blue jeans and white t-shirts. Listen to Positive Charge. Because what he's saying... I know, guys, a lot of us are going through some shit right now, right? And everything's subjective. But he's talking about trying to turn things around in life. He's talking about how you may have viewed yourself as stronger in the past, but you could turn it around right now. And it hit me so hard with 109 North Willow Avenue. I don't know if I was stronger as a kid than I am now. I think we mass strength differently. There's different ways to approach things, you know? But this song, it was like electricity running through your soul. And there's so much more I could say about 109 North Willow Avenue, but for tonight, the point I want to lean at, what I want to press. Do we ever really change? <clears throat> the relationships we have, are they real? Or are they what we put out there, the energy we put out there? How do people really know us? And I can tell you where we come from. If you get to know us, that means you're in a select group. We have been taught, Trump taught me this, 
Pitney Village taught me this. Most importantly, Mary Lee Neary taught me this. Show what you feel comfortable showing. And in the game of life, you decide who deserves more than that. So tonight's message, if you would, was basically because my feelings were hurt for not getting into a Facebook group. And I basically worked my ass off all day and part of the night. Then after having a great dinner with Mr. Durbin, who's a great man, I came back to the office to work more and decided I'm going to hit this at midnight. Because I got to tell you, I know what I'm saying tonight and it's different. But I also know there's many of you that are feeling my message right now. There's many of you that are saying, fuck, this makes sense. It's not just me. Go back to what I said earlier. Where we come from. We don't really pretend to be somebody we're not because we really don't know who we are. Well, we don't know who we are. We evolve into something. What we choose to mold ourselves into is perception we provide to the outsiders. I guess that's what I want to end. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. We're going to discuss a blind date on terribly wrong. <laughs> I blame my mom and my aunt for this one, but they both rest in peace. So, let's go back to a few things. Number one, the year was 2006, and we are on a, about to go on a term break from law school, and this is the time when people didn't put their real names on social media, and um, the name Turtle Girl comes to mind. I'm going to change real names. Again, potential lawsuits and stuff. But these stories... This is one of the weirder ones, I think. So, at Cooley, when we came in in August of 2004, there were 1,278 students. We graduated with under 300, and Cooley's business model back then was to take people who were at risk. They would fail out get as much tuition as they can, call it a day. When you got to like your fourth term, there was this somewhat of a fake bond, if you would. And when I say a fake bond, you were connected to people you may not have really liked in the outside world, but you know, you kind of felt like you went through this thing together, so there's this false bondhood, right? And there was this one guy, we'll just call him Ed. I did not care for this guy. But Ed and I had a lot of common classes because he was from New York and I was from New Jersey. And um, he he was an amazing law student. He's done shit in the real world. Shocking, right? As a law student, this guy was on top of the world and he was one of these guys that was like working for the SBA, Student Bar Association, tutoring. He was the TA for so many classes. He had this horrible voice. Like, really? <laughs> Remember, he used to say, I can get all D's the rest of my time here and graduate. Okay. And you gotta understand something. With a lot of these people, especially the unattractive ones, this was their first time to be cool, right? I mean, let's be real. They weren't cool in high school. They weren't cool in college. The real world beat them up a little bit. Now they're getting good grades at a fourth tier law school, and they thought, hey, I am the shit. So they had to hang on to those three years the rest of their life. And this guy was annoying as hell. I really, 
I was doing like this risk utility test. Like, how much do I dislike him versus how much I feel bad for him? And this one Halloween, he comes into school. Now, people would dress up at Halloween. The Halloween at Cooley was weird, right? I would wear a hoodie. Hmm. <laughs> but other people kind of took it to different levels. And this one Halloween, he was a pumpkin. And dude, bro went all out to be a pumpkin. Like, he was pumpkined out. I mean, he is like rolling down the holes, dresses this orange creature. I, I don't know. And you can imagine the frustration in law school. We're all hostile. He's getting taunted by people. He's getting made fun of people. I didn't taunt and make fun of people. I just want to be left the hell alone. But because I wasn't an asshole to this guy, he thought we were cool. Let me be clear. I did not like him. But I wasn't mean to him. I tried to avoid him. I had my group. You know, I'm with the failed athletes. I'm the guy that studies till 2 o'clock in the morning. I kind of want to be left alone. I would date without going out. It was very... Law school was different for me. <sighs> but there was this little lunch in that place we all used to go. Little breakfast and lunch place. And the whole Cooley crew would go there. And I'm there after finals one day, eating lunch. And I'm giving off like a million visual clues to leave me alone. I'm in a corner booth. I've got my headphones in. I'm reading a newspaper, because back then you didn't read the internet on your phone. And I'm just trying to avoid everyone. I'm going to eat my lunch. I'm done finals. I'm going to head back to my apartment at Village Green. I'm flying out to Jersey the next day to go see Aunt Mary and Mom. And that was my plan, right? It was, okay, grab a quick bite, get the hell out of town. In walks my ex-girlfriend. And she sees me. Now, there's plenty of distance to avoid each other. And I'm trying to avoid her. She brings this new guy in. And I'm like, heads down, reading the newspaper. Ah, shit, I don't want to see her. I don't want to deal with her crap today. She sits down with this new guy. And, of course, she walks up to me. And walking up to me was like a scene. And, like, she would do, like, this thing when she walked, like, be real loud. <laughs> Like, flip her hair. Like, okay. Everybody had to hear that she was walking down the hall. She walks down. She says, why are you looking at me? I'm like, what are you talking about? And I said to her, I am literally crouched in a corner, eating my corned beef sandwich, with headphones on, reading a newspaper, and I'm trying to avoid you and everybody else right now. If I had any food in the house, I was a horrible shopper in law school, I would have just ate at home. I just... I'm not even looking at you. Just what I think you're looking at me. I'm like, okay, I'm not. She goes, why aren't you looking at me? I'm like, oh my god. Like, listen, uh, clearly you're with this other guy. Enjoy your lunch or whatever it is. So she grabs him, like, we're getting out of here. Now, right there, that was a sign it was going to be a weird day, right? All right. So, the annoying guy that was dressed like a pumpkin... He was there. And this guy, like I say, always talked about his grades, and he was annoying as shit. But he's having an altercation at the counter. The owner of the luncheonette apparently had a major gambling problem. And they stopped taking credit card payments from people. They only wanted cash. And this guy never had cash. Like, he never had cash on him. He always would pay with a credit card. And you could hear him argue. He's like, oh no, I don't have cash on me. And the owner of the luncheonette is like, well, you're going to go to character and fitness and be a lawyer now. Okay. Let's stop there for a minute. He starts crying. Now, the ex walked out with her new man. This dude I can't stand is crying. I can't eat lunch in peace. And he is like sobbing. Like, he thinks because this company will not accept his credit card payment for his lousy tuna sandwich, he is going to not be a lawyer. Okay. 
I walk into the situation. And sometimes being the fixer sucks, right? But I don't like this guy, but I don't want to see him cry. I mean, what, what, why is this guy crying? I go up to the waitress, look, I'll, I'll take care of his bill, okay? Okay, hey man, have a good term break, I got you, I'll, t I'll pay, I'll tip. Just enjoy your break. So I go back to my little cubby hole. He comes up to me. So he's he's looking at us like an invite. We're boys now, right? Oh, you really helped me out there. Like, okay. Dude, listen. You were in a bad spot. Um, I hope you enjoy your break. I'm sure. Hey, Lorianne. I'm sure you will um, have a good break, right? I'm going to finish my sandwich. And I'm going to head home because I got a lot of stuff I got to do. So he starts telling me his whole life story. You know, I'm from New York and this and that. I'm like, uh-huh. So he asked for my phone number. He goes, well, maybe we can hang out with over in New Jersey. I'm like, oh, yeah, um, but you, you live in New York, right? Probably not going to happen. But I, I give him my number. And so here you go. Yeah, yeah, give me a call sometime. And um, that was it. Now, let me stop you there. He said we should hang out. I'm being nice. Like, yeah, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely. We'll catch a game. Idiot's gone. The X is gone. I'm paying these tabs. I'm finishing my sandwich. I'm going home to Village Green. Okay. Have, have to take my cats in to be boarded for a couple days. Want to watch a movie or something. And I'm good. This is over. And at the time... Mom is a year from death. Aunt Mare's not feeling well, so my trips back home are really about caregiving for Aunt Mare and Mom. Now, here's the thing about the girls, as we call them, Aunt Mare and Mom. Amazing people. Aunt Mare raised me, owe her everything. Mom was like my big sister, had me real young, but we were very close-knit. And me coming home from law school for term break was a big deal, but I would take Mom to her doctor's appointments, I'd take them to the White House, get them their treats, whatever it was, it was errand boy time. It really wasn't the time to go unwind. Um, that was the goal, going back home to be a caregiver for my family. And I accepted that, and I was pleased with that. And then the car ride happened. I'm in the car with the girls, Aunt Mary and Mom, and we're heading to the White House sub shop to get them their sandwiches. And... Mom's in the front seat, Aunt Mary's in the back seat, and if you knew the girls, they didn't shut up. They also had a way of going through your phone. Now, I had a rental car, and the phone was on the charger. And, um, Mom wasn't really good with cell phones, but she liked touching them. <laughs> so the phone rings, it's that guy, Ed, and Mom picks up the phone, and she puts it on speaker accidentally. She goes, hello? And he's like, oh, hi, is Bill there? She's like, oh, yeah, he's here. Who's this? Oh, it's Ed. Now, mind you, I'm literally like, I would let this thing go to voicemail, right? But mom's chatting with this guy now. Hey, Mary's chatting. Oh, hi, Ed. How are you? Billy was telling us about you. Yeah, I was telling them that this idiot didn't have money at the luncheonette and was crying. Now he's calling me up. He goes, oh, yeah, can we hang out? I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm dealing with Aunt Mary and Mom, and, uh, you know, I got responsibilities. I'm sorry we can't catch up. I can't travel the way to New York. He says, well, I'm in Millville tonight. Okay. Millville was like a half hour from Atlantic City. And Aunt Mary goes, oh, honey, that's great. You're only a half hour away. Yes. Yes, Billy will hang out with you tonight. He goes, oh, and I got big news. We got a double date. I'm like, oh, God. And I'm thinking, the woman that's dating Ed, this can't be good. Hey, Jason. No, Nancy, it's not. And I'm like, the woman that's dating Ed, this has got to be horrible, right? But the worst part is, I'm getting the tag along. I'm getting the tag along. So I'm getting the worst part of the deal. This is like when Jerry found out his ex-girlfriend was dating Newman. And he's like, 
it's not bad enough that she dated Newman, as disturbing as this, but Newman thought he was too good for her. And I'm thinking, I am literally going to be the wingman for this guy I can't stand. And I'm getting Turtle Girl. So I don't want to go, but Aunt Mary and Mom got me on this friggin' date now. So Ed is pumped up. And he tells me, we are, we're going to a haunted hayride, then we're going to a murder mystery. Okay. So, um, I said, should I, like, meet you in Millville? And I'm bitching at Mary and Mom's, I'm buying them their food. Like, you know, I, this is going to be horrible. You got me on a double date with this moron, these two women... That probably, uh, it's not going to be fun. And Aunt Mary and Mom are laughing her ass off. Ha ha ha. Oh, it'll be a good time. You'll have a good story. Hmm. So we're going to meet these people. Meet us the Haunted Hayride. Now, ironically, they didn't buy tickets for the Haunted Hayride. I, I didn't have a lot of money in law school. Apparently I had more than them. So I... Well, I pay for my date, right? But not paying for Ed and his date. So I get there. Oh, did you get the tickets? What? So now I'm just did you get the tickets for the murder mystery either? No. But you can pay at the door. So he did the research, you know, you can pay at the door. And I set the goddamn precedent by buying this more on his tuna sandwich. So of course Bill could afford the Haunted Hayride. So we get to the Haunted Hayride. And you gotta understand something. It's a hayride in the farmland of New Jersey. And these idiots, Ed, Turtle Girl, and his date, like, oh, I hope we don't get killed. And I'm thinking, I don't think there's gonna be a lot of assaults at these hayrides or they wouldn't be in business, right? But I don't say, okay, B, don't say this shit. You're gonna wreck their evening. Do not keep your sarcasm in check. So we're on this haunted hayride, and they're, they're like screaming. These people are coming out with like axes. Oh my god, we're gonna get killed! And I'm sitting there like, okay. I mean, I, to my knowledge, nobody's ever been killed at a haunted hayride in New Jersey. And I've just got like this blank look on my face. And unfortunately, this is before you could just text friends. 2006, man, it was like a dime for every tax. Like the text C had to hit that one three times. <laughs> oh, yeah. So after the hayride is over, we go to the murder mystery, which ironically was not far from the hayride. And again, these people are lost, right? Nobody gets killed in a murder mystery. It's a show! <laughs> so, we get into the murder mystery. I see this journalist from the Atlantic City Press I knew a little bit. We'll just call him Rick. I say, hey, Rick, how have you been? And he goes, sir, my name is Thurston, and I did not kill Rebecca. All right. <clears throat> These people are in character. <laughs> At this point, the sarcasm starts coming out. And Ed and the girl's like, ooh, you ever been to a murder mystery before? And I'm like, well, where I grew up, there was a murder mystery almost every week. <laughs> they didn't get it. You know, grew up poor, white in the ghetto. People got killed. But, you know. <laughs> so, my jokes are being missed. And this murder mystery went on forever. <laughs> and, um, you know, so that was fine. At the end of the evening, I'm like, oh, can I get the hell out of here, please? I gotta get a 35-minute ride um, to get back to my family. And I'm looking forward to seeing them at this point more than I was initially. Because I'm like, wow, please send me on an errand. <laughs> gotta get away from these freaks. And then Ed gets the courage. Hey, ladies, how about we go back to your place? And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> these people... They can't possibly live together, right? I'm like, oh, you know, we'd be going to two different places. We don't know each other that well. Luckily, they live together in a trailer in Millville. Our trailer park is like 12 minutes from the murder mystery place. And I'm thinking, huh, Jesus Christ. 
Wait, do these people, is their whole entertainment, the hayride, the murder mystery, their trailer, is everything like a 12 minute radius or something? I don't know. So we go back to the trailer. And the furniture was very interesting. And there was like old pictures of the two of them doing everything. Ironically, quite off that haunted hayrides. Like, oh, this is the haunted hayride in 2004. That's great. So, Ed and his date, they go do whatever they do. And I'm sitting out there with this nut. And she's talking to me. Tell me her whole life story. Unsolicited things. You know? You know, and I, um... I went on a blind date once, and that son of a bitch won at stake, and I wasn't having that. Like, what? And I'm looking. There's all these pictures of two of the girls, but there's this one picture of her in the sky. Like, oh, who's that? She goes, that's my ex-boyfriend. Yeah, like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm, I understand. When did you guys break up? Oh, last night. <laughs> oh, God. This freaking guy's going to show up. So what I gathered was... Turtle Girl is with Ed's girl, depressed over the dude that she broke up with. Ed's got a cool guy from law school who's going to pay for the friggin' haunted hayrides and the murder mystery to make weird guy jealous. And I'm thinking to myself, as luck would have it, this guy's going to show up, right? And uh, he does. And he starts screaming at me. You think you're going to take my girl? I'm like, no, she's yours. We're like staring at each other. And then he's yelling and screaming, and I'm trying to get electricity get on. I'm like, look, bro. And I remember I said, look, bro, chill out. He goes, I'm not your bro. I'm like, yeah, no shit. We look a lot different, don't we? And I'm becoming an asshole at this point. And I'm thinking, well, if this is the end, at least you got with a good story. I don't know. I want to get the hell out of there. Ed says, he comes out of the bedroom, he's like, oh no, you can't leave. And I'm like, dude, you and her are obviously hitting it off. I'm with this other turtle girl, this nut. Her boyfriend's here. We're in the middle of freaking Millville. What do I need it for here? Can I just go to hell home? Jesus. And um, her boyfriend starts talking shit. And he says... You don't have the chops to sing karaoke. I thought he was going to call me out. They had this karaoke machine. Now, I don't know what it was about what he said to me right there. But I'm like, what did you say, you son of a bitch? I can't sing karaoke? You bastard. And I don't have a good voice. But that night, I was going to sing karaoke my ass off. And I start playing these different songs, and I'm singing karaoke, and I am sticking it to them. Like, and I'm like, ha, you don't have the skills, do you? You don't have it. And I'm like yelling at him. I'm pissed off. Now, <laughs> uh, the girls want to sing. There's two songs I have a hard time listening to anymore because of this night. One was Kiss Me Deadly by Lita Ford, which was a really cool song as a kid. And the other one was I Quit by Hepburn from Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And these two girls did duets of these. And I gotta tell you, the first four times, it was fine. Um, They did at least ten times. Now at this point, I've had enough of this shit. I'm on this horrible date. Which I blame Aunt Mary and Mom for. I just got done turn break. This idiot with the pumpkin elf, who's getting better grades than me at the time, is like, he's become a leech. I get the hell out of there. So I leave, and it was snowing outside, and the snow was piled up against the friggin' door. Now, I can't leave. And I say to Turtle Girl, when does the snow get plowed? 6 a.m. It's like 1.30 at this point. 
and I'm like pissed. Can I jump out a window? What do I do? Well, the boyfriend of the girl I was seeing starts crying. And I, I never seen me these these are guys in Jersey and they're crying. And he starts crying that he thinks his girl likes me more than her and I become a relationship counselor for an hour. So what do you think you need to do to understand her needs? I don't freaking know. I'm thinking, oh my god. If this was only 2023, where I could just text someone for help, couldn't. And I am literally coaching the two of them through their relationship. While being stuck in the snow, in a trailer, on term break in December of 2006. And I don't know what I said. You know, it's one of those things you go on like cruise control and you're just rambling. Whatever I said impressed the hell out of both of them. And they make a pitch to me. And it was a pitch that I was not going to partake in. At this point, as they are drunk and propositioning me, I literally get out of the friggin' thing, sledge through the snow, take my hoodie off, wipe the snow off my car, and I make it back to Aunt Marin Mom. And that, my friends, was a horrible bad date from 2006. Okay, I'm Bill Amadeo, and I wish the story wasn't true, but it is. Have a good one. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.